Hello, and welcome back to episode two of Juror Number One. First of all, I want to say thank you so much to everyone who streamed and downloaded and followed and shared. Um, thank you so much. That's so awesome. Uh, thanks for the support. I love uh, true crime stuff, so if y'all are listening, I'll keep making these things. So it's been fun so far. So let's get on to episode two. Now, if you thought that last week's uh, episode was shocking, where the brother let his own brother sit in jail for decades, knowing that he's the one that killed that woman, uh, this one is going to shock you even more. So, let's get started. This is episode two of Murder in Brooklyn. So this story starts out in November of 1986. There's a young man that we'll call Paul, um, who had recently got out of the military and was staying with his brother. Um, around four o'clock, he decided he'd go out for a run. Well, he went out for a jog, and uh, about a mile in, he decided to turn around and head back home when he saw something strange. He saw a man and a woman in a car pulled off the side of the road of this busy Brooklyn highway. Paul originally thought that uh, they were just lovers, and they pulled over to, how do you say, express their love for one another. Well, that's what he thought. But all of a sudden, the man gets out of the car and walks around to the other side and opens the female's door. As he kept watching, he was wondering, what, what the hell are these people doing? So, he sees the man grab the woman and drag her down in the ditch. This is four in the afternoon. I mean, broad daylight on a busy highway in Brooklyn. He sees her drag, uh, sees him drag her down uh, by this tree, and he throws a bunch of beer cans around her body and puts a blanket over her. Um, he then sees Paul and gets in his car and takes off. Well, here's the thing about Paul, is he'd been in a little trouble uh, before, so he was on probation, so he was like, oh man, the last thing I need is to be involved in some sort of murder. But, he's like, I have to do the right thing. So, he runs up to uh, call the police. So he finds a spot, calls the police and says, hey, I just saw a man drag a woman down here, there's a dead body. So the police show up to start their investigation. So they ask Paul, what did you see? And he tells them he saw a like dark uh, sedan parked on the side of the road. He saw the man get out. He saw the man drag the woman down, throw a bunch of beer cans around her and cover up with a blanket, get into his dark sedan and drive off. They ask him, what did he look like? And he said a, quote, paunchy white male with long white hair in a dark sedan. So 
I'm like, okay, have a seat in our car. We're going to go look at the scene, and uh, we'll probably have some more questions for you. So the detectives go down to the tree, and they know who this woman is. She's a 27-year-old uh, female who had several arrests for prostitution and a known drug problem. And they also noticed that she had rope burns around her neck. So, after processing the scene, they go back to the car to talk to Paul, and they're like, so you said the guy was driving a dark sedan. Um, we think we might know one of her known associates through her file or her arrest records. I don't know how they knew, but they knew of this man who had a gray car, a dark sedan, that was known to hang around her. So they tell Paul, we're going to go to this dude's house and have you identify him. So they take off. They take Paul to this housing development where um, this person lives that they think might be a suspect. His name's Brad, and he uh, has long hair. Um, he's a known drug user and a known associate of the victim, and also has a prior arrest for assault charges. So, that pretty much checks a lot of the boxes for being a suspect. Close to the scene, known associate, drug problem, assault arrest. So, Brad walks out, and they cuff him. Take him down to the station for questioning. So now they have uh, Brad at the station for questioning, and they also have Paul there, the witness. So they're going to do a lineup. So they bring in Brad and some other people in for a lineup. And they ask Paul, and they say, do you see the man that you saw today dump that body? And Paul says, yes, it's him. And pointed right at Brad. He says that's the guy. But uh, he was wearing red jeans whenever uh, he dumped the body. So they get a search warrant for Brad's apartment. And do you want to guess what they find in Brad's apartment? Yes. A pair of red jeans. I don't know a lot of people who own red jeans. A lot of males that own red jeans. Maybe khakis. But red... I don't... Well, I guess this was the 80s. Maybe everybody's wearing red jeans. I don't remember. Green jeans, yellow jeans. I bet they were gerbos. Anyway, they find a pair of red jeans. And they also find that Brad owns a gray sedan. Just like the car that Paul saw the man drag the body out of. So, it's time to take this to trial. And as the trial uh, starts, uh, the prosecution is going to rely heavily on this eyewitness testimony. They also have a nice little cherry on top that they're going to bring out at trial. But first, they bring up Paul, of course. The eyewitness, they say to him, Do you see the man in this courtroom that you saw drag the body that day? And he says, Yes, it's him, the defendant. It's Brad. Slam dunk, right? Because you know most eyewitness testimony over time isn't that reliable. But this guy picked him out of a lineup 
almost hours after he saw him dump the body. That's got to be pretty reliable, you would think. So the next witness they call is someone who Brad had become friends with. See, Brad had been in jail this entire time uh, awaiting trial, and he made a new friend in there. So this inmate says to the defense, hey man, I've been talking to Brad, and he confessed to me. He said he killed that girl. I'm sure of it. I mean, he told me that. He admitted it to me that he killed her. So they bring him on the stand, and they say, yeah, we became close in jail, and Brad told me that he killed the woman. So, think about that. Do you believe jailhouse snitches? I don't know. Some I've been I've seen that are true, but you got to always think are they just trying to get time cut off of their sentence? I don't know. Take that into consideration. So, that was almost all that they the prosecution really had. The eyewitness testimony is obviously very strong. But there wasn't really any, um, the only DNA that they found, again, this was in the 80s, like the last one, um, they could only tell that it was probably a white male from the DNA that they found. So Brad was a white male. That's about it. So now it's time for the defense. And what they're going to tell you is that the eyewitness really didn't, uh, wasn't that correct. He originally told the police that uh, the person was fat and in their 50s, long white hair. And Brad, he was 37 and he wasn't really fat and his hair was dark. It wasn't white. So maybe the eyewitness can't be trusted. But then again, he did identify him out of a lineup shortly after seeing it happen. So take that into consideration. Also, when they did the search warrant on Brad's apartment, they found those damning red jeans. I gotta be honest with you. I wouldn't want anyone to know if I owned red jeans, let alone at a murder trial. Then again, if they said, this man owns red jeans, does that make him a lunatic? I'd say, yeah. What are you doing with them? Where are you wearing these red jeans to, Brad? But here's the thing. The red jeans didn't fit him. So he couldn't have been wearing red jeans on the day of the murder. If the jeans don't fit, you must acquit. Maybe that's where it came from. But then they go on to attack the uh, DNA evidence, which obviously this took place in 88, so... There wasn't a lot that they could do with it. All they could tell you is that it was a white male. Well, how many white males were in the Brooklyn area at that time? I'd say a lot. Okay. So now it's time to move on to the closing arguments for both sides. The prosecution says, this is an open and shut case. We have an eyewitness who saw and picked out the defendant within hours after watching him dump a body in a ditch like a piece of trash. This eyewitness 
is a former service member. He served our country. He knows about honor and integrity. And he would not get up here and lie to you about another man's life. He took an oath to defend people just like him and the woman who's passed away and everyone in this courtroom. He knows that he has to tell the truth. So this eyewitness is telling you this and you're not going to believe him? Well, that's just insane, right? They have another witness who's a close friend of Brad that he met in jail, confided in him during his toughest time. He's all alone in jail, so he's trying to make new friends. He makes a friend with this man, and what does he do to prove his friendship? He tells him his deepest, darkest secret, that he killed this woman. Why would he say that if he didn't do it? We have our expert, honest eyewitness placing Brad's car at the scene. This man also had a relationship with the victim. He's a known drug user and convicted of assault charges before. These are all things you got to take into consideration. With all of this presented in front of you, what else would you do besides vote guilty of murder? So now it's time for the defense closing arguments. And they're going to tear apart everything that I just told you. Their expert eyewitness that says that he cannot tell a lie, that he's a service member, all of this. Well, he was on probation. He'd gotten in a little trouble outside of the military. You hold that against everybody? No, people make mistakes, but does that make him absolutely credible? No, not in my opinion. Whenever he first told the detective, he said that it was a 50s-year-old man, fat, long white hair. But Brad, Brad's 37. He has dark hair, and he's not fat. And then the other witness, the uh, jailhouse friend of Brad's that said that he confessed to killing this woman. Is that someone's word who you're going to trust? A currently incarcerated man who could just only be doing this to cut time off of his sentence. He'll say whatever he wants. It means he's going to spend less time in jail. Would you be willing to send this man away for the rest of his life over words that is coming from a confessed, convicted criminal? Could you live with yourself doing that? Well, that's on you. As far as the red jeans, the red jeans shouldn't mean anything. The red jeans don't even fit him. Yeah, he's a lunatic for owning red jeans. Yes, but the jeans aren't on trial today. The DNA evidence. Yes, we talked about that. It only means that it was a white male. That is a huge amount of people that it could have been. So... We ask you to find him not guilty. So, that is the story of Brad. What are your thoughts? Would you find him guilty based on what you've heard today? Or would you find him not guilty 
based on what you heard. I can tell you, in my opinion, what I would vote, but that's me. So, come back tomorrow and hear the rest of this story because, like I said, it is going to blow your mind. If you already don't know the story that I'm talking about. But don't be out there Googling stuff, guys. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with the rest of the story. Make sure you're telling your friends, subscribing, sharing, all that good stuff. And I'll keep telling these stories to y'all. So, again, thank you so much. And we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>